Blog Talk Radio. This is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the TS Radio Network. Our show tonight is Whistleblowers, the USDA Hour. Uh, we've got uh, some hot stuff to talk about tonight. Just as a reminder, these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit. And that's an annual event in Washington, D.C. This year we will be doing it on Zoom again uh, because of all this faked-up virus thing. And I don't even want to go there. But anyway... We will be there, and um, what we're going to be discussing tonight, uh, Lawrence will be, he's my co-host, Lawrence Lucas, and what they're going to be talking about is the recent meeting with USDA, which turned out to be a gross disappointment for everyone, and as the discrimination complaints continue to pile up, while at the same time the USDA isn't doing its job which is nothing new. I have a history with the USDA going back 10, 12 years, and Tom Vilsack. Um, the, we, we fought them back on premises ID, national animal identification, uh, on any number of fronts. Um, Vilsack, and this is my opinion, his main purpose is to destroy family and independent farming, so everything is corporate. Everything is done by these huge corporations, and in preparation for the work he's about to finish up, APHIS, the plant and animal section of USDA, announced today that they are taking comments on the deregulation of genetically modified plants. Um, Gee, I wonder what's wrong with that. Uh, When we fought them, like I say, 10 years ago over this, we had farmers up in Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, all over, ordering heritage seed out of Canada. And at first it worked, and then somehow these goons from USDA showed up and captured those shipments so that the farmers couldn't have them. Now, with genetically modified crops, they have done nothing as far as controlling those crops, So, and they easily cross over into crops that are heritage, and that DNA in that genetic modification easily transfers. Monsanto, which is now Bayer, would run in there and say, oh, you stole our creation. And you have to understand what's behind genetic modification. You cannot patent and control a natural plant. So they changed the DNA of it, called it their creation, and patented it that way. And this was the beginning of the takeover of the food supply. And this is what this is all about. And when Biden put Vilsack back in there, to me it was like the death knell for farmers because he's going to finish up what he started. And if they get this through on APHIS and deregulate all this genetically modified stuff, we are in deep trouble. We already know that genetically modified food cannot be uh, digested and and used by the body like a standard grain would be. 
Um, we also know it causes internal damage to the organs. What these people are thinking of is, I don't even want to think of what they might be thinking of. But anyway, this is where we're at. So at issue in all of this, of course, was the maltreatment of black, Hispanic, and women farmers, um, the lack of availability of grants and loans and program participation. And while they filed their complaints, nothing was done. They have a time that they have to respond. Now, go back again about 10 years. I actually called the USDA because I had been told that what they were doing was crating up all of these complaints and then just storing them in a lower level like a basement. And it took me 45 minutes of being transferred from one phone to the other, and it took me two days, actually. And But I finally got a young lady on the phone, and I said, you know, this is what I've been told, that these complaints are just piled up in a basket and then stored in the basement. Is that true? And her response was, well, what do you want us to do with them? And I said, we're actually paying you? Are you kidding me? And then I got a phone call from someone who said his name was George Strait, um, I highly doubtful, uh, from USDA demanding that I retract several articles and statements I had made, which I refused to do. And um, they tried a few other things, and, uh, but we held firm. And this was when John Podesta, when people were trying to FOIA to see if they had been arbitrarily put on this premises ID list, and you have to understand the difference here. Property is covered by the Constitution of the United States. You have property rights. Premises is a word from international law and the law of contracts, and it means that you have an ID number and you are the manager operator of that property, but you are not the owner. The ownership of your property would have transferred to USDA. And in Wisconsin particularly, they were transferring people, putting them on premises ID. And when they would file a FOIA to try to get that information, they were told <laughs> that they couldn't have it because it wasn't stored on U.S. soil. And it turns out Podesta created an Oracle database up in Canada. And they were storing all of this stuff up there, and they said as long as it wasn't on U.S. soil, it wasn't available to FOIA. And he got away with it. But this is what these people are up against. The corruption in this agency has been ongoing for decades. It is not there to help farmers. It is not there to secure agriculture in this country. They routinely, routinely contract against the public for profit. And as I've said before, and then I'm going to shut up, this is not a federal agency. This is a privately owned corporation listed on Dun & Bradstreet, and it is contracted to the federal complex as an intergovernmental agency, and that's how they're tied up, government services. Um, but it is not. It's, it's like the man stood in the House that time and talking about the FDA and USDA, and somebody said, well, why don't you write a law and make them stop? He said, we can advise them but we cannot tell them what to do. And that was such a giveaway, you know, and if people would listen to the words, they are telling you right in your face, we got no control over these people, but you are being forced to fund them. You are being forced to pay for everything that they do. Now, I think there's a problem with that. 
And Lawrence, I know you wish I'd be quiet, so I'm going to. <laughs> Everybody, here's Lawrence Lucas, the host this evening for this show. Welcome, Lawrence. Well, thank you, Marty. And I also want to thank uh, Marcel Reed for making uh, these shows possible. And I think we've been doing it two or three years now. The, the ability for us to uh, and have the channel to speak to so many people, including uh, Australia, is really great. And let the American people make some decisions for themselves uh, about what is going on in this country. We're going to be, we have tonight uh, Mrs. Attorney Tracy Lloyd McCurdy from the Black Belt Justice Center. And we also have uh, Mr. Lloyd Wright, uh, 37 years he's worked with USDA. Each one of them will bring to the conversation and the discussion tonight about what is still going on at USDA. But we're going to try to update you from where we were uh, a month or so ago as it relates to uh, USDA how it's handling the debt relief, and we'll spend a lot of time talking around and about the Emergency Relief for Farmers Act as well as the Justice for Black Farmer Act of 2021. Um, before we go any further, instead of me talking and introducing them in the detail with all due respect, I think I would like for them uh, each to give a brief summary as to their background, why they're interested in this uh, subject, as well as uh, spend some time uh, sharing with them why they do what they do. Uh, we're going to first start with, uh, with all due diligence to Attorney McCurdy. And uh, are you there tonight, Tracy? Good evening. Yes, Lawrence, I'm here. Thank okay. you for having me. Good. Um, kind of give and then and give a brief introduction as to what you do and why you do it, and then we're going to follow with uh, uh, Mr. Wright. Absolutely. Um, and, and Marty, I really do appreciate your remarks about the importance of having uh, independent journalism and media. Uh, one of our farmers, uh, Carolyn Jones, the executive director of the Mississippi Minority Farmers Alliance, uh, she shared with me that she only speaks to the press when she has something to say. And um, I think it's, uh, it was something that I internalized because um, more recently with uh, the, the coverage of the, the white farmers, you know, lawsuit, uh, halting or disrupting restorative land justice for farmers of color, the narrative has been primarily around the white farmers and focusing on uh, white domination within the judicial system and um, 
where we weren't focused on white domination and supremacy within USDA. And so I, I've been thinking about this, and I often say white domination is the gesture of confusion. And there's been a lot of confusion around the origin of the uh, American Rescue Plan Act, uh, erasing uh, the history of the, the Pigford Legacy Farmers and their organizing efforts. And that's how I really came into the work. This is really a full circle moment for me. I worked on Pickford One as a law student at UNC Chapel Hill. I'm originally from Durham, North Carolina. So I worked with the North Carolina Association of Black Lawyers Land Loss Prevention Project on Pickford One. Uh, fast forward years, uh, I uh, served on the Black Farmers Council. Uh, it was an eight-member council that was charged with developing recommendations uh, regarding the remainder uh, $8 million in the Cypre Fund. Those are the funds uh, left over in a settlement agreement for NRA Black Farmers Discrimination Litigation uh, Settlement. We often refer to it as Pickford II. And that's where I learned about the crushing debt of our Pickford Legacy Farmers. I remember speaking to one of the elders, and I said, well, can we put a million towards the debt? And they said, oh, and the debt exceeds a million. It's in the billions. And I was, I, I was grappling with this. How is this possible? How could this be possible when you have this historic class action racial discrimination lawsuit that resulted in the vast majority of our elder farmers in debt? And over the last 20 years, many of them uh, losing their land, fighting uh, USDA and the Department of Justice in court to hold on to their lands, the threat of foreclosure, uh, their accounts being offset, their Social Security, disability, uh, subsidy payments, uh, tax re refunds, that this is the remedy for black farmers for systemic racial discrimination. And so that's how I got involved in the work, uh, got involved with the Black Farmers Appeal Cancel Pick for Debt campaign uh, when we learned that our elder farmers were representing themselves pro se in federal court. We um, intervened on their behalf. Uh, again, we didn't uh, we didn't get any justice for them in the courts. We were tossed out as well, and that's why I think the sentiment amongst many black folks is that USDA engaged in obstructionism and sabotage uh, by slow walking the implementation, and thus we're in this situation now where uh, the vultures are just tearing apart the uh, American Rescue Plan Act. And so uh, that's my offering right now, uh, Lawrence. Okay. Thank you very much. I think that was very clear. And uh, thanks for getting a bit in the weeds because we're going to be doing just that. Uh, Mr. Wright, uh, will you please uh, take some time to uh, give us an introduction of yourself and why you became at at this age and retired from USDA, uh, a little about your history, why you got here, and why you're still in this struggle for black farmers and uh, employees at USDA. Mr. Wright. Yes, thanks, Lawrence. Um, well, I started with USDA. Actually, I uh, passed the civil service exam and got assignment with USDA in 1960. 
So for all of you young folk out there, you can add that up. Uh, but in either case, I spent uh, a little over 37 years uh, as a, a career employee with USDA. Most of that, I worked for the Natural Resource Conservation Service. Um, and at one time, that agency had the best record in USDA uh, as it related to civil rights. I'm not sure that's the case now, and they no longer have control of civil rights now. Actually, uh, as a by the way, the agency with the worst record actually controlled the civil rights for NRCS, and that's another subject. But in either case, I spent most of my career with NRCS. My last two years, I spent as director of civil rights for the department, and I was actually director of the department uh, when Pickford started, and I retired just before uh, the, uh, the the agreement was signed. Um, and and just to talk a little bit about how the farmers, uh, um, you know, got uh, abused really with Pickford uh, during the period that. I settled complaints as director. We provided three types of things to farmers in their settlement agreements. We gave them compensation, that if, you know, the amount that they could justify, and we had a process for doing that. We gave them debt relief, and debt relief meant debt relief. All the debts they had with the department was canceled. Uh, and even uh, if they owned a house that was not part of the phone lo- loans, we canceled that debt, too. So debt relief meant 100% debt relief. We also gave them priority for future pro- program services. And I point that out to state that that is really what was written in the initial agreement for Pinkford. However, when they turned Pinkford back to uh, the agency that did the damage, FSA, to figure out how much which farmers should get debt relief, they only provided debt relief in Pickford 1 to 371 farmers out of the 22,700 who applied. Um, many of the farmers had stopped paying on their debt because they read the, the, the agreement and, and it said they were going to get debt relief and they thought they were going to get debt relief. Uh, and with interest and penalties, a number of them have lost land. And... So to move, then I went back to USDA, so I almost have 40 years because I worked two years as a contractor in 1910, um, I'm sorry, 2010, um, trying to deal with the complaints that were not processed from 2000 to 2008. And uh, during that process, we uh, determined again that the statute of limitations has expired, and we tried to get a bill passed to... Uh, enable us to settle those cases and, and forgive the debt. We never got the, we got it passed twice in the House, but never through the Senate. And those farmers didn't get help. So really, I, I consider the bill that just passed uh, this spring as the third bite at the apple. Neither the first two provided debt relief, and I'm not sure this one will provide debt relief either. And I, I have recommended to farmers, don't stop paying on your debt. You don't have debt relief until you get it. And, 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 and the last two cases where farmers were promised debt relief, they did not get it. And I'm not sure they're going to get it now either. But, uh, but, but Lawrence, that's, uh, 
where I am. I, I spend a little of my time still as an active farmer, and uh, and and most of my time I spent uh, as a volunteer trying to help uh, black farmers get some justice. Uh, thank you, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Wright. We're going to kind of move to the issue that we have been dealing with as a group, and that is the uh, the work uh, Wayman Henson, uh, yourself, Corey Lee, uh, uh, Attorney McCurdy, as well as yourself and many others, and and include. Uh, the support that we've gotten from many farmers. To put in perspective where we are today, we have to go back and think about in 2019, 2020, we approached um, a candidate for president, Elizabeth Warren, and she stepped up to the plate and came up with a plan that was uh, eventually called what we call today the Justice for Black Farmer Act of 2021, introduced by Senator Booker of New Jersey. Now, we have fought for getting debt relief as well as systemic change at USDA. Um, I would like Attorney McCurdy to kind of bring us up to date and get into the weeds a little bit about this bill that was designed in the beginning to help black farmers, uh, I would like for her to share with you all where we are today. And, and the question that I'm asking of both of you all, uh, they say that this is a black people's or black farmers legislation. I want you all to clarify as to why you think that this bill is otherwise. Um, uh, Attorney McCurdy, you want to you want to handle that, please. Address yes. that issue. Yes. Uh, no. No. Thank you, Lawrence. And this is something that I raised in uh, my opening remarks, but also in the uh, press statement that the Black Belt Justice Center released um, uh, last week. Again, listening to the elders and really being very disappointed with the dominant narrative of uh, the American Rescue Plan Act, uh, a lot of people, I think initially myself, I thought that uh, at least 17,000 black farmers would be receiving debt cancellation. And I say 17,000, uh, some of our elder farmers met with the previous administration and Secretary of Agriculture, uh, Sonny Perdue, his chief of staff, shared with them that there were 17,000 black farmers that had, were in debt to USDA and had been for five to 30 years. Now, if we go back to Pigford, we know that there were 22,000 uh, uh, black farmers uh, that were eligible for recovery, and eligible is very problematic because we know 7,000 were denied outright. But there were 15,000 that were successful with Track A. And so, as Mr. Wright shared, uh, only 381 received partial debt cancellation. Most of that was for operating loans, not farm ownership. And so, again, to contextualize Pigford, Pigford has always been about the land and the return of the land. And so when we worked with uh, Justice for Black Farmers Group, uh, particularly 
our collective has been focused on the debt cancellation. So we were excited to work with the Congressional Black Caucus, specifically with uh, Senator Booker on the language for the Justice for Black Farmers Act, uh, which included debt cancellation, federal and state tax relief, and the return of offsets, the return of offsets. Many of the farmers, because this debt was not canceled, their accounts were offset more than the than the pittance of the 50000 that they received, uh, the cash settlement, those that went track A, right? And so um, that was introduced uh, in January, and then came the – uh, emergency Relief for Farmers of Color Act, which was inspired by the language in the Justice for Black Farmers Act, but also included uh, farmers of color for debt cancellation. So that's, that includes uh, indigenous Native American, uh, Latin, Latino farmers, uh, Asian farmers, and farmers of color. And instead of focusing on the injustices of the Pickford lawsuit, this class action racial discrimination lawsuit, the 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 origin of the discrimination, uh, let's say, was to focus on um, discriminatory practices generally within USDA, and then also disparities with the uh, pandemic and subsidy payments, right? And so um, we submitted documentation as the Senate and the House were deliberating the American Rescue Plan Act to fortify the congressional record to protect the legislation from vulnerability and legal attacks, right? So fast forward now, we have five pending uh, lawsuits, uh, most recently in Wisconsin and today in, or yesterday the, uh, Florida, uh, in Florida, the federal judge there, they are, you know, halting the program, stating that the remedy is not narrowly tailored. That's a legal standard that has caused um, a lot of difficulty for us doing restorative work, restorative justice work. The legal standard for any race-based program is that it has to be narrowly tailored and uh, it must advance a compelling government interest. And so when I, I think of uh, some of the challenges with the, the legislation as written is does it meet that standard and do all of the groups meet that standard? And so that's a debate for another day. Uh, I personally don't think we should focus, again, white domination is the gesture of confusion. I don't think we should focus our energy on uh, the white supremacist antics in the judicial system. I think we need to focus right on USDA because with USDA, uh, they slow walk the implementation, uh, and, and Mr. Wright talked about this. If the debt wasn't canceled by Memorial Day, we should be concerned, and it wasn't. Um, and then we didn't know the numbers kept fluctuating. I'm going to just make this point, and then I'll pass the mic. The numbers kept fluctuating. So initially in the progressive farmer, uh, it was 14,000 farmers of color. Then in the Washington Post, it said 13,000 farmers of color. And then I think in the New York Times, it said 16,000. So when we met with Secretary Vilsack, I really wanted to get some clarity on that, and specifically the number of black farmers. Because, again, in the media, it's, 
it's um it's it's heralded as um this you know uh restorative uh program for mostly black farmers and we were told by USDA that there were 2000 black farmers out of the 17000 that would be eligible for the debt cancellation which was shocking uh and 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 devastating honestly I don't know if I believe those numbers. A lot of the elders don't. But I do think that we have to deal with the devastation that was caused by the by the Pickford lawsuit, meaning there were thousands of black farmers that have transitioned to ancestorhood without justice that were forced to get private loans to uh, – protect their family farms from foreclosure proceedings initiated by USDA. Uh, you know, just, you know, this, the lawsuit was, again, the legacy of the lawsuit is the theft of black farmlands. And so um, more recently, I think in the counter, the numbers are uh, USDA reported to the counter that there were 3,100 black farmers that would be eligible for debt cancellation, 4,400 Latino farmers, 8,000 Native American farmers, and I believe 1,300 Asian American farmers. Uh, I also was very alarmed by representations that have been made to the various federal courts uh, in Wisconsin. The Department of Justice stated that they had mailed out 8,500 letters uh, on, I believe it was um, June 9th. And at that time, we didn't know of any black farmers that had received a letter, right? And then uh, in the federal court in Florida, DOJ represented that they had spent $2.4 billion out of the $4 billion uh, allocation for the debt payments, debt cancellation payments. And again, we don't know any farmer that uh, received any black farmer that had received relief. So, again, okay. when we go back to the letter that we filed uh, to uh, Secretary Vilsack, we wanted a inclusive implementation process. We wanted to appoint a independent ombudsman over the process because I think it's really important, and this is my last point. I know I said that was going to be my last point. This is my last point. This is my last point. When the black farmers talk about their distrust of the Department of Justice and um, the obstructionism and the sabotage, I think it's really important for our listeners to go back and do the self-study and read Obstruction of Justice, which was um, authored by uh, our colleagues, Environmental Working Group and the National Black Farmers Association. And back then in 2004, the DOJ was fighting black farmers on their claims. They invested 56,000 um, attorney staff hours, and they also invested $12 million fighting black farmers on their claims after their own attorneys negotiated away discovery. So I think that's really important, and I hope that kind of contextualized um, kind of where we are right now. And I would love, again, to, to hear uh, Mr. Wright's thoughts as well. Okay. Thank you very much for that detail. I didn't cut you off because I think the information that you were giving uh, to our listeners 
is information that uh, flows from the truth and not from skewed numbers and skewed voices. Uh, Mr. Wright, um, in the case of uh, this bill that is said to be for black people, and it's a bill that we were told by the uh, the uh, transition team of uh, Biden headed up by Tom Vilsap, that we now have a bill that we were told the things we were asking for for black people was unconstitutional. I would like for you to um, delve into uh, some of what you think is the problem at USDA, and I want you to also share some of those numbers in terms of percentages uh, as it relates to who's getting what from the benefit of a lot of hard work and pain and suffering of black farmers. And I'd like for you to share that and give some clarity to that. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Well, first, let me, I'll tell you what I think is going on. As Speak a little louder. The number. Yeah. Let, let me tell you what I think is happening as it relates to the numbers being reported. Uh, as, um, as pointed out earlier, the number keeps changing. Somewhere between 1,600, 2,000, or 3,100 black farmers. Uh, and the numbers have been up even higher than that at times. I'm not sure that the department have any idea how many farmers are in each of the categories. In that, in 2008, the Farm Bill directed the Department of Agriculture to report all services by race and gender. Uh, it spelled out in detail how that was to be done. Vilsack spent eight years after the 2008 Farm Bill and did not implement those provisions. Had they implemented those provisions, uh, all services provided would have had a status code for race and gender, and they would have been able to use that computer on the first day to give you one number. I, I tell folk, if you give me two or three numbers and they're all different, I know half of them are incorrect. I don't know if any of them are correct. And I don't think, I don't know if you can believe any of the numbers they're giving us. But with that being said, one of the things we need to do is to have the secretary implement the 2008 provisions to require all farmers to indicate their race. Now, I know some of these free marketeers don't want to do that. They think it's infringement. And, 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 and I, I would certainly not want to infringe on, on, on someone's rights. And if they, you know, really don't want USDA services, they don't have to fill out the form. But we are requiring the people now who are going to get benefits from the debt relief to fill it out. So I don't know why we didn't require people who are going to get other services to fill it out. And that's what the law required, but we didn't do it. So let me tell you, I don't, th I don't know if I believe any of the numbers, but having said that, let me tell you what the numbers are. I mean, how to do a percentage on them. Although the black community might be convinced that this, this is a black relief, and most of the press has reported such. 49% of the people who would get debt relief are, are, are the American Indians. They will get 49%. 26% will go to the Hispanics. 18%, and I should put only 18%, will go to black farmers. 
and 7% to Asian farmers. And then if you look at the amount of money that blacks are likely to get, they, they're going to get 18% of the cases. But one of the problems and the reason we have such low numbers, uh, black farmers historically, for all of the reports done going back to the 82 Commission on Civil Rights report, indicate that blacks get the least benefits of all groups in the department. So the only the reason we're only going to get 18% debt relief because they don't prove loans for blacks. So we didn't have the loans. We have problems. We normally get loans that are small and late and not at all. So the fact that we only have 18% in itself points out the level of discrimination against blacks, more so even than the other minority groups. And then when you look at the amount of the loans, blacks may get as little as 10% of the total dollars in debt relief and that the loans to blacks will, if it follows the historical uh, level of, of loans to blacks, will be much less than any of the other minority groups, and, 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 it, and, and the dollar amount could be as low as 10%. So th- let me point out one other little fact. So if we, if we take 18% of the uh, number of persons who will get benefits, uh, we're only going to uh, help a handful of the black farmers and that it turns out, I think, to be about 8% of the black farmers will get some debt relief out of, out of this uh, bill, which means 92% of black farmers will get nothing in terms of debt relief. And I, I don't think any of us know that. I don't think that's being reported in the press. This is not a black farmer relief. If you leave 92% of the black farmers out, you didn't help a lot of black farmers. And then that's something we need to deal with. And I'm basing that on 38,000 black farmers. Some people say that more than that, the numbers would be worse if I use a larger number. So with that, I don't know if we have time to talk about Section 106, which is uh, some relief we can give directly to farmers. But some of us are working on a paper trying to get, uh, which is a portion of the billion dollars of support funds that's still on the table. We're trying to get as much as that as possible made in direct payments to farmers and hopefully to black farmers. If not, black farmers might get the least of all of the groups uh, in terms of actual dollars out of this Relief Act. And, And black organizations have been out working for this like they do a lot of other things in the department that comes out to be social disadvantaged but and traditionally get less than the other groups. So I think that's something we need to focus on, the fact that it is not a black farmer relief bill. Very few black farmers will get relief, and the amount of dollars will be low. So I don't know if that answers your question, Lawrence, or not. Yes, you did answer my question. Um, uh, Attorney McCurdy, uh, tell me, uh, why do you focus on this issue, and uh, and you have uh, convinced us uh, in our group of that? Why is the Pickford farmers uh, your center uh, and your focus? And um, 
how do we, what do we have to do now? And I'd, I'd like for Mr. Wright to come behind you. And how do we go about fixing this problem that we have, knowing that you have this court action? What are you expecting from uh, the DOJ? and Tom Vilsap in the administration, and what do you think has to be offered up in order to fix what has already uh, been um, somewhat a debacle uh, illegally for black farmers to get paid finally for the debt relief that they deserve? Uh, Dr. I'm sorry, um, uh, Attorney uh, McCurdy, can you help us here? Uh, absolutely, uh, Lawrence. I um, I don't think that we should put too much energy in uh, these lawsuits. Uh, the black farmer has been uh, fighting for justice in the courts for the last 22 years, and um, it has not proven to be fruitful for them or us. Uh, I know uh, there are various groups that are uh, – petitioning the court and they want to intervene as friends of the court and I think that if they want to move uh, and that's their work uh, that they think will advance and move us forward so be it. I am uh, of the position that we need to look at the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund and uh, there were various reports that came out last year. Uh, there was a report from um, Alan uh, Rappaport, I believe, uh, Trump funnels record subsidies to farmers ahead of Election Day. That was in the New York Times, October 12th. There was another report in Politico from Liz Crampton called Trump left Biden a $30 billion fund used for trade wars. Biden has other plans for it. Uh, this is January 31st, 2021. Uh, I really would invite uh, our listeners to look at those two articles because what Trump did with the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund, he was able to funnel uh, billions, you know, close to $30 billion to mostly white farmers uh, for trade mitigation and pandemic relief. Uh, he also carved out $100 million out of the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund, uh, because tobacco is not a subsidized crop anymore, but he put it in a separate account and paid mostly white farmers uh, from North Carolina out of that pot of money. And so when we recently met with uh, Secretary Vilsack, I asked him about the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund and how it could be used to restore the black food and fiber agricultural land base, given USDA's complicity in destroying it. And um, I, I referenced uh, President Joe Biden has talked about using the fund to create a carbon market where farmers are paid uh, for using uh, sustainable agricultural practices to sequester carbon. And so what I was sharing with Vilsack is, well, let us stand in our own imagination. We could come up with innovation as well that will also restore our agricultural land base. And he was very hesitant uh, to have that discussion. 
I know that there have been work. Uh, there is a working group that has been comprised mostly of environmental groups around this carbon market. I don't know of many farmer groups that have been there, but that's where I would like our discussion to move because with the Commodity Credit Corporation Fund, we don't have to worry about the courts. We don't have to worry about Congress per se. There is wide discretion uh, for the Secretary of Ag. And since 19, the 1930s, this money has been used to subsidize and to shore up white farmers because it's based mostly on acreage, and USDA has been complicit in eroding our land base. And so that's where I really think that uh, we should focus our energy, uh, intervening uh, and, you know, that battle in the courts. I don't, again, I'm just looking at the historical record. I don't see how um, that is going to get us where we want to be. And so I, uh, I know I've talked about this with, uh, with Mr. Wright. Uh, I, I would love his thoughts on that. Uh, I know there's another budget reconciliation that's coming up. Uh, but, again, the political courage that's necessary, the political courage that's necessary in this moment to address the wrongs of the Pigford lawsuit. And... Um, and I think that we have to also uh, grapple with um, uh, how deep-seated anti-black racism is, that we can't even address, you know, this injustice to black farmers. We have to kind of create another narrative. That pain and suffering is not enough for us to address on its own. And that, to me, is, is problematic. Uh, well, thank you. I, I agree that we need to do something other than the emergency bill that we have now because it might end up being zero if we can't get some debt relief for a handful of black farmers. So I quite agree. And, 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 and actually the um, CCC you know, is, is a place to start to get some of the funds, and, and I would support that. But, I, but anything else that's put together need to address the other 92% of the black farmers. A program that helps 80% of black farmers is not a start. And that's what we have now on the board. So we, we need to do better than that. And then the other thing that I'll add that you asked what needs to be done at the department. Um, if you don't count the chickens, you don't know if the fox is eating the chickens or not. And, and in this case, I think, you know, the department is like the fox and have decided not to count chickens. So I don't think they know what the numbers are because they stopped. We had a very poor system for determining uh, who the race of the people who were getting the services. That got dismantled under the last administration in the last four years. So I, I think they are grasping to try to give us a number. That's why the number keeps changing. All you have to do is implement the 2008 Farm Bill and lay out in detail how to do the counting. So in the future, when we ask how many blacks or Hispanics or whoever will get benefits from this program, they'll have a precise number. So first of all, I would say, Lawrence, implement the 2008 Farm Bill. Okay? The second thing I would say is that we need to really – uh, reconstruct the 
Office of Civil Rights, maybe put it in receivership and move it out of the department to the justice or some judge or wherever. But uh, there's no reason why a farmer or employee should expect a timely, fair hearing on their civil rights complaint. And, and, and with that being the case, you can't hold people accountable for discrimination if you can't find it. Um, you know, our president say that we've been discriminated against, even my secretary and a lot of congressmen and a bunch of senators. The only people who can't find discrimination is the, is the USDA Office of Civil Rights. They, they have done less cases of finding of discrimination in the last 20 years than I did in my couple of years, which was slightly less than two years, as director of civil rights. And, I, and most of them, if they bumped into a finding of discrimination, they wouldn't recognize it because they've never done one. Uh, all they do is it's a closing machine. So if you're ever going to hold people accountable, you got to do two things. You got to be able to at least count the chickens so you know they're missing. And the second thing you need to do is to hold people accountable by investigating claims of discrimination, uh, adjudicating them, and those cases where they're finding, uh, address the person that was discriminated against and hold the person who did it accountable. We're not doing either of those things. So I think if, if we're going to look at benefits from USDA, there's no reason why you should expect employees to do anything different than they're doing if they're never held accountable for it. And right now, they're not. So I would add those two things in addition to getting the money from the CCC to address uh, black farmer issues. I think we need to do a couple simple things in the department, straighten out the Office of Civil Rights and start counting the uh, with an accurate system, uh, counting the services provided and who we are providing the services to. Okay, thank you very much. Um, in a recent article that I was reading a week or so ago, um, I noticed that in an interview with uh, Secretary Vilsap, uh, when asked, when dealing or talking about the problem at USDA, he seemed to dismiss the fact that he see the problem as being only those things that impact farmers from the outside. So I guess he's talking about county committees, and he's also probably talking about the banks. He also is talking about uh, some of the FSA offices. But I think what he was saying was that uh, if you shift the narrative in the discussion and USDA and everyone looks the other way, there is still a systemic problem at USDA that has to be gotten to. You've just mentioned some of those uh, issues and some of those concerns, but I think there are some other kinds of concerns that need to be fixed from an internal as well as external um, um, recommendations that need to come forward, such as a, uh, we want to talk about the policy document, but um, Attorney McCurdy, what do you see, just quickly, what do you see some of the other things that need to be fixed? Uh, and I know your expertise is primarily 
in the farmer end, but also in the employee. What do you see as that needs to be fixed internally at USDA in order for it to be a a, dig, a dignified and respectful agency to all its customers? Well, I have deep concerns, again, around the lack of transparency, accountability, and oversight. I go back to the letter that we wrote to Secretary Vilsack regarding the implementation of the debt cancellation provisions in the American Rescue Plan Act. More recently, when we met with Secretary Vilsack, uh, I was uh, deeply, you know, offended that uh, the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights, uh, uh, Attorney Monica Range, stated that there was no backlog of uh, discrimination complaints. And again, I think that speaks to, again, this culture of, uh, you know, uh, I think Rosenberg and Stuckey referred to it as a closing machine of erasing the history, erasing the lived experience of the farmers. Why do the farmers still refer to USDA as the last plantation? The fact that even during this foreclosure moratorium in Lake City, Arkansas, we had uh, a black farmer that that local FSA office had initiated foreclosure proceedings against. This was during the foreclosure moratorium. The fact that it was our uh, collective that had to um, advocate and agitate with the Biden-Harris transition team that it was possible that our demands were a foreclosure moratorium and uh, debt cancellation, that it wasn't even in their imagination that it was something that was possible. Again, that shows a lack of leadership, and it shows – uh, just entrenched, how entrenched, again, I go back to bl- anti-black racism, because, again, when we talk about, you know, who's left with the rind, it's always black folk. And why is that? Even when we look at the the tremendous organizing uh, efforts and history of black farmers to be at this moment, that many of our, you know, uh, BIPOC, you know, brothers and sisters, we're not engaged in that fight over the last 20 years. But yet, because of our efforts, we're creating an environment of collective liberation for them. And so there, there is an issue of reciprocity, a real issue we need to have about solidarity. But I think, again, it's the culture. It's the culture of the last plantation. And so it doesn't matter uh, who's in certain positions because the culture is that to dispossess and to have racial animus towards uh, black farmers and farmers of color, as well as the employees. So that's something that I think that we're really trying to dismantle a culture. And it's not just in the county committee and local FSA offices, but the culture there in Washington, D.C. as well. Uh, thank you. Uh, um, uh, Mr. Wright, can, uh, I would like to, you worked at USDA a long time. Uh, can you add to um, what um, Attorney uh, McCurdy has said? Yeah, yeah I, I said we have never, I was able to settle complaints and, and, and pay up to a million dollars that could be justified to a farmer. I was never able to hold employees accountable. And, and when she talked about transparency, we never even sur- 
surface the name of the people who discriminated. Um, unless we are going to have accountability, and you got to have transparency with that, uh, we're just you know, going to go around in circles until all of the farmers are gone. Most of the things we're talking about now was well-documented in a 1982 Commission on Civil Rights report, the decline of the black farming. We haven't done a thing about it. I mean, whether you're talking about the fact that blacks get their loans late, uh, another little thing we don't talk about much is that they're normally supervised. In other words, you get a loan, uh, that don't mean you can go out and buy your soybean seed or your chemicals or your fertilizer. You have to go by the local office, and they have to sign off on everything that you decide to purchase. So there's a whole lot of things that we don't, that the public is generally not aware of that happens in those FSA offices that ensure that black farmers are not going to make it. And until we have transparency and show that to the public, uh, I, I don't think we're going to stop the decline of black farmers. You know, we've lost, what, 96%? And, and, and I think the folk want the rest of the land, too. And, 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 and we talk about it. We document it. Um, I, I tell folk we never got the 40 acres in a mule, but we never got debt relief under Pigfoot or under the SOL, and I'm not sure we're going to get it now. So uh, we, we can discuss this thing forever, but unless someone gets steers, and, 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 and I don't see that happening right now at the department. Yeah, they might go in and do a good case, a court case, fighting something that didn't need to be. There's no reason, if this were white farmers we were trying to help, it would have been done by Memorial Day. And I, a couple months ago, I told folks, if, if, if Memorial Day arrived and you haven't gotten your debt forgiven and got your 20%, and, and, and the lien removed off your property, you need to be thinking seriously about whether you're going to get it or not. And on Memorial Day, we didn't have a stop order. So had, had they wanted to do this thing, it could have been done by Memorial Day, and the money would have already been paid out, and we wouldn't be having this discussion. But folks didn't get in a hurry doing it. And I, I figured they figured they'd wait long enough, someone would stop them, and they did. And now there's a whole bunch of lawsuits and, and, and as pointed out, we, we maybe don't need to be fighting them uh, because we don't need to divert our attention from the real problem. The real problem is black farmers are, uh, you know, dropping off one by one and have been doing so since 1920. And we come up with diversionary things to talk about, uh, including a lawsuit that shouldn't be necessary because the work should have been done before could have been done by Memorial Day. Folks just didn't get in a hurry to do it. So I, I think we need to um, try to fix some things in the department. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to get it under the secretary, but that's another story. Uh, you know, we have him, and uh, we have to try to get what we can get because if we're going to have him for four years, I, I think we're going to have to work hard if we expect to get anything out of the department. But but uh, so that's why I am with that, uh, Lawrence. Uh, what I would like to do is, if we have more time, um, but I would like uh, Tracy 
to answer a question, and maybe if we have more, if we have enough time, you also, Lloyd. Do you think the present leadership uh, at USDA and what the Congress and our black leaders uh, around the country and organizations, do you think that leadership is sufficient enough to bring about change, either what's there now or what uh, people are purporting uh, to be. Uh, uh, Attorney McCurdy, can you address that, please? Well, as you as you mentioned earlier, Lawrence, uh, we've been uh, in this fight uh, for quite some time, and we have uh, been able to forge uh, allyship uh, with uh, Senators Elizabeth Warren, uh, Cory Booker, and Reverend uh, Raphael Warnock. I think that this moment that we're in now requires um, uh, courageous leadership. So we know that uh, we have this debacle that's unfolding across the country in various federal courts, and what are we going to do to rectify it? Um, earlier, in the, earlier in the week with The Guardian, I, I quoted one of my colleagues, the Cure Green Rodriguez, when she said, uh, it's always going to be all deliberate speed if it's on white supremacy's time. And so for any uh, official, uh, political official or community-based organizations to say to the black farmer, just wait, let's see how this shakes out in the Supreme Court, to me that's, um, that's woefully uh, insufficient as far as the response uh, again, if you story, you know, study the historical record, and particularly with white farmers, the ease in which they get relief, and yet with debt cancellation before I pick for legacy farmers, uh, it couldn't even stand on its own. It had to be packaged uh, in another narrative, and I think that's something we have to wrestle with. Why was that? So I am, um, I would say I'm a porch watcher. I'm on the porch. I'm looking to see how folks show up. Uh, because the battle uh, continues, and we want an expedient response. Again, we don't want to wait on the courts. I don't even want to wait on Congress. I think that the remedy could be the CCC fund, and I really want some bold leadership with that. Okay, thank you. Um, can you tell one, one of you all chime in here? Uh, can you tell me why uh, the view – and the, and the perceptions are different. We have uh, black farm organizations saying and their leaders saying that everything is fine at USDA and the leadership is fine. However, uh, our organization and, and others and other farmers around the country looking at the host of articles, some of these farmers I don't even know or have talked to, uh, they have a different perspective about USDA and how it's coming along and what the expectation is. Uh, we had one farmer um, in an article that appeared in, a, in one of the publications, Carl Parker, indicated that his statement was, we now have our foot on the snake. And I've been trying to figure out uh, where the snake is, but I think what he is saying that we don't trust. 
today, and uh, we want uh, uh, can you all tell me why there's a, a different perception out there in terms of how the farmers feel about the leadership at USDA and the difference between others thinking differently? Uh, which one you all want to uh, handle that? Well, perception-wise, you, you asked about leadership, and I didn't respond to that. There are a couple people in the department that I, I talked to some black farmers who, who feel comfortable with. And I think the new head of FSA is probably one of the best that we have had in that position ever. Zach, I think he, I think, and he's trying hard. Um, I think Dr. Goldman, Dwayne Goldman, I think he's trying hard. But if you are on a plantation that's been run by a whole lot of folks and little cubby holes here and there for a long time, um, having two right faces show up who are committed will not change much on the plantation overnight. So I think the two of them are working hard, um, I, 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 but they're not the people who are going to make the final decision on any of this stuff we're talking about. And, and, and I think there lies the problem. So I'm not, I'm not convinced, um, you know, what, what the results are going to be. Uh, I think I tried to work hard too, but uh, I was a total failure when it came to the statute of limitation bill because I didn't have the power to make the decisions that need to be made. Okay, but it wasn't because I didn't work hard at it. So I think we got some people, some good people there working, trying to do a good job. I'm not so sure we have them at the top. Uh, and although, you know, when when you're the head agent, head of an agency, you know, you have some authority, but you don't have the authority to do the things we're talking about. And and I would just like to add that I think the the authenticity of our collective is that we are truly sovereign. We don't receive any money from USDA. And so uh, we can be critical of USDA. And I think that uh, when you look at the plight of black farmers, how they've suffered over 22 years, uh, many of our community-based organizations in 1890s, their sustenance comes from USDA. And consequently, they, uh, they're silent. They're not going to be critical of USDA. And so I also have a concern, again, around this implementation process where we have oversight, accountability, transparency, where we center the Pigford legacy farmers because the Pigford lawsuit was about the Pigford farmers. It was about farmers. It was not about the nonprofits. And so I think uh, we have to have – a very honest dialogue, particularly in the black agrarian community around this. Uh, but I appreciate that we have a very unique role, and uh, because we don't uh, we don't feast or receive any funds from USDA, we could be very critical. And so I think that that's our unique position, and why the farmers really appreciate our advocacy as a group. Uh, and, and it's something that has been missing over the years because it's very difficult to be critical of, you know, the hand that feeds you. And so that's something that we really need to interrogate. And then also think about how our nonprofits need to have autonomy so that they can really 
you know, advocate for black farmers as we try to restore the agricultural land base. And maybe we need to list. Thank you both very much. Um, Marty, uh, now, Lord, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I was just going to add a quick item. I was going to say maybe we need to list the organizations who are receiving money from the department and how much, because you're absolutely right. We we have not accepted money and not accepted money from the department. Uh, And the reason you got a difference of viewpoints, some people maybe are getting what they want for their organization. But I haven't found any black farmers who are happy. Okay. That's all I wanted to say. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Marty, um, I have a question, or are there any questions coming from uh, people who are calling in? Or, Marty, do you have have a question you would like to ask uh, our guest tonight? Well, you know, in all of this, what I'm trying to figure out is, how Vilsack has gotten away with this, this is the second, the second time now. Uh, like I say, this man being put back into that position is not an accident or just an opportunity waiting to happen. Um, he did so much damage to farming overall, family and independent, the first time around. And I can't like, say strong enough, I believe he was put back in there to finish the job. And... Everything is going corporate. They don't think any food should be produced that isn't corporate. And you've got Bill Gates now owning over 300,000 prime agricultural acres in this country with the intent of growing genetically modified crops, which this thing coming out from APHIS um, about, you know, deregulating them, that's right up Billy's alley. And I personally, I think that man needs to be locked up somewhere he's a danger to society but what I, what i'm saying is there there's there's an undercurrent here that is not yet being exposed i don't think it has surfaced just yet just exactly what that current is but there is a, a an undercurrent and an alternative agenda um an alternate agenda that they are implementing and the idea that they would pass this bill to make them pay the black farmers for the discrimination that's gone on for decades, and then somehow that gets sidetracked by white farmers coming out and suing over it. What are you suing over? You got all those programs. You got the grants. You got the whatever. What is it you're suing over? And who put them up to doing it? Uh, that would be my next big question. And but there, there's something else happening here, and I'm gonna have to get in this and dig. There's something else happening. I'm seeing little pieces, like I said, of this thing from APHIS and other things going on. There's a, there's a whole plan that's being put together here. The black farmers and the Hispanics and the women uh, are considered low-hanging fruit. So, all you white folks out there listening, whatever you see happening to these people. Take notes, because pretty soon they'll get around to you, and um, they'll use as precedent what they did to them. So when you, you sit still and you don't stand up and object to the way these people are being treated and what's happened to them, just remember you're laying the road work, the map for your own destiny. Uh, like, like I told you, Lawrence, when 
he put Vilsack back in there. Honest God, my skin just crawled. I thought, oh, God, not again. Um, when he was governor of Iowa, they called him Monsanto's golden boy. He sold the whole state out to Monsanto, tried to turn it into a hog lot, eventually turned it all into genetically modified grain. And by the way, they have few places to go with that anymore. I have some friends who ran a um, grain hauling business here some years ago. And when they would go over to the terminals on Mississippi uh, with a load of grain, and, and when they contracted to carry those loads, they would had to tell them whether it was a pristine crop or whether it was genetically modified. Now, if a crop had been hauled in one of their haulers that was GMO, they had to sterilize it, the container, before they put it, the heritage crop in there. The reason for that being that when they got over to the terminal, terminal, these big probes were put down into the bed of these haulers. And if they even detected dust from genetically modified crop, they rejected it. And then the drivers had to take that on down the Mississippi to various terminals, usually to Ralston, Purina, and Quaker Oats, to make cereal and dog food out of, and then sell it for less than what it was worth. And, of course, Heritage Grain always brings two to three times per bushel what genetically modified, and by the way, it takes 7 to 14 bushels of genetically modified grain to equal one bushel of traditional grain, the nutritional value. But what we found out was that Monsanto, now Bayer, was cutting them off every which way they went, and many countries will not accept genetically modified grain, and there are about five that will not accept food being put on their shelves that has genetically modified ingredients. Uh, the most obvious place this is expressed is soybeans. That nobody wants genetically modified soybeans. So if you look at your loaf of bread, thanks to the USDA, or pastry, anything like that, it'll say soybean oil on the ingredients. There is absolutely no reason for that to be there other then it's the only place they have to go with it. So people in those businesses are forced to add this into their product to keep the market from collapsing on genetically modified soybeans. But it's all – what gets me is the trickery and the obfuscation and, and the – nothing is out in the open. It's all for some ulterior agenda, and it's the public who pays the bill on all of this. It, that's it. That's the what really galls me is we pay these people to mistreat like black farmers, women, Indians, whomever. We pay these people to lie to us. What's wrong with this picture? Why are we paying them any money when I see that they have twenty million to give to some corporation? Where did they get twenty million from? They got it right out of your pocket. That's where they got it. And I'm just, I'm sorry, this stuff just absolutely drives me up the wall. I, I just don't understand why the public puts up with this. I don't understand why black farmers are having to fight just to be treated fairly. I don't understand uh, why it has to be this way and um, what they think they're accomplished by continuing it. But go ahead, Lawrence. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I do have a, a, another question. Um uh, do, do we have any lights on of anyone uh, calling in and want to ask a question? No, uh, number your, board, one? your board is full of 202 access denied. 
Okay. Um, I want to touch on one other thing before we get off. Um, I would like for Lloyd and and Tracy to tell us, and and Lloyd, if you can take the lead on this, why is it important that um, we work so hard, and, and that is what we do, is work hard with directing and needing policy to determine what happens at USDA to make sure people are treated fairly, especially our our customers. Can you uh, give us some insight on what you feel as though uh, the importance of policy and what you're doing and what we're doing on it? And I want Chase Tracy to add to that, please. Well, Lawrence, as you're aware, I'm concerned with both employees and farmers, but I've spent most of my career kind of tipping toward the farmer side. For one thing, the farmers out there on their back 40s trying to make a living, the black farmers, they don't have a lobbying organization in Washington, D.C. to represent their interests. So if we don't have people like us trying to help them, they don't have a voice at all. And and, 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 and in, in one discussion I was involved in, I said, if we don't do something pretty quick, because black farmers are, you know, becoming extinct, we will, the next uh, proposal we'll have in Congress will be money to make plaques to hang up along the roadside on where black farmers used to be, because we won't have any. So I think it's important, although we haven't had as much success as we'd like, I think we have to fight as hard as we can and as long as we have to to try to save the few remaining black farmers. And what needs to be done is not very complicated. Uh, it's just that people don't want to do it. I mean, when when back in 1960, uh, we uh, we reported uh, services provided by race and gender. And now we've gotten computers uh, that can capture all kinds of data now. And we have less information as relate to the race and sex of people we provide services to than we did in 1960, is that people have decided they don't want that information out there. So we've, we've restored that system. Uh, so I think some of us need to work both in, in terms of putting farm bills together and in terms of working with uh, our senators and congressmen to congressmen to get them to develop, to develop policy to help these few remaining black farmers, because otherwise, uh, even and we make efforts as you well know. The last, most people think that this emergency bill was a black farmer bill. It turns out that they're going to get like maybe 18 percent of the number and 10 percent of the money. This is not a black farmer bill. Now, and I'm not blaming the congressmen, uh, the, the congresspersons and senators who voted and put that in, because I'm not sure they were aware that so few black farmers got loans. I think I think they were uh, committed to helping black farmers, although they threw all the other categories in, but they had they didn't have good data, so they didn't know that so few black farmers would actually get help. We need to straighten all of that out, and, and it's not complicated. We know how to do it. It could be done in short order. There's only one person at the top that can make that decision, and, and uh, that person 
haven't made those decisions, didn't make those decisions in the first eight years, and haven't made them now. And let me point out one other thing that is bothersome. The, you know, I think in, 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 in the last administration, they said that what they wanted to do was deconstruct the administrative state. And in the, doing that process, they did a bunch of things at USDA. They took our research folk and tried to move them. Didn't try. They did move them to Kansas City. A lot of good folk didn't go. Okay. So they really devastated the research folk, NIFA. They t- combined, to some extent, the functions of NRCS, who had the best record, with FSA, who had the worst record. And FSA is controlling the business center that operates. And this administration come in knowing that the objective of the last administration was to deconstruct the administrative state. But this administration has continued to implement all of those things that were put in by the prior administration. So I'm not so sure. That's why we call it the last plantation. It doesn't seem to matter much which party is in the head of the plantation. It continues in the same direction. And usually not in a direction that's good for black folk. Right. Thank you very much. Uh, Tracy, um, can you uh, give us some uh, uh, what what you feel is uh, needed um, in this area of policy or, or maybe elaborate and expand on what uh, Lloyd just said? I would just say simply um, – us standing in, black folk standing in our own imagination and having sovereignty over our um, our blueprint or the compass, uh, compass to move forward. And I say that because, again, circling back, when we met with uh, the Biden-Harris transition team, who would have thought? that we will be in this historic moment, that we were even able to get legislation, federal legislation, that would cancel the debt for our Pickford, Pickford legacy farmers, right? Where we were able, we were able to influence um, uh, federal ag policy and the president in such a way that he issued uh, a, a, a moratorium on foreclosures. And so I think that really speaks to our uh, – power, our collective power when we're unified, and so that's what we have to carry going forward because the work is not done. It's not done. Um, I I actually uh, recall reaching out to Mr. Wright when Secretary Vilsack announced uh, the debt cancellation would start in June, and I wanted us to celebrate together. I had a glass of wine. And Mr. Wright said, I'm not pulling out the brandy yet until a black farmer gets the money in their hands. And now I appreciate that wisdom now because I thought we were, I thought it was celebration time. And clearly it's not. And it's never not. You know what I mean? It's it's never that way. It's never easy for black folk. Uh, The fact that we have to continue to fight and we are the only group that were certified as a class for this historic racial discrimination class action lawsuit. And we still have to fight because our black farmers, the remedy was debt. And, in fact, one of the farmers said, um, Carl Parker, who you mentioned earlier, 
his uh, brother ascended to the land of the ancestors, um, I want to say, years ago, and the state received a letter. But he has not received a letter yet from USDA, and that speaks a lot to when we talk about debt uh, bondage, you know, that you can get a letter once you have ascended, once you become an ancestor, but you can't get out. You have to die in order to get debt cancellation. And that says a lot about the assault on the black farmer and the importance of this work that we're embarking on together. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. And I would like to add to that. I think it's very important for our listeners to really understand that the congressional leadership that has brought us to where we are and we have a, a still a ways to go. I want to, uh, and our the Justice for Black Farmers and the on behalf of uh, of uh, our president uh, Ron Cotton of the Coalition of Minority Employees and Lisa Donnelly, Vice President, and the Justice for Black Farmer group that's made up of a host of urban as well as rural farmers. And I, I want to say that I am so pleased that we have a working group made up uh, of um, uh, Attorney McCurdy. Uh, we get input from Corey Lee. We get input from uh, Michael Stovall. We get input from Eddie Slaughter. We get input from uh, um, uh, Rod Bradshaw uh, all, and farmers all around the country. And I want to make sure that uh, before we close that with the support that we've gotten from uh, Reverend uh, Senator uh, Raphael Warnock, uh, Senator Booker, as well as the continual support that we're getting from uh, Elizabeth, Senator Elizabeth Warren as well. So we're in this struggle. And uh, we're seeing a a lot more being said about what is going on at USDA uh, like never before. But we are going to continue to be the truth tellers and tell the truth about what is going on. And these shows, this whistleblower show, has been part of that legacy of truth tellers telling the truth about really what is going on that's impacting our society today. And I want to thank uh, both um, uh, Attorney McCurdy as well as uh, uh, Mr. Lloyd Wright, and I want to thank uh, the, the whistleblower organization for and Marty Oakley for allowing us to be on tonight. And I thank uh, all of you for the input and the, and the insight that you've and the clarity that you've been able to give uh, to this issue. And I thank you very much. And I turn it over to uh, uh, Marty Oakley. Yeah. So this was an excellent show. Excellent information. Uh, thank you both for coming on. It was good. It was good. And hopefully we got the attention. Like I say the board is filled with 202 access denied. So we know they listening. And um, we come back again because we got a lot to say. Anyway, uh, everybody, again, these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit. 
and it will take place at the end of July. I believe it's the 28th through the 30th or 31st. I'm not sure on the dates. I never can keep it straight, and that's my fault, and Marcel probably smacked me up for it. But anyway, we'll be there, and Lawrence, I believe you will be too. And um, it'll be on Zoom this year, so everybody, you can sit in the comfort of your own home in front of your computer and watch it. And that um, I'll miss being with everybody, I will tell you that. And uh, just a reminder to everybody, pay attention to everything that's going on. Everything means something, no matter how minor or minuscule it seems at the time. It's always just the tip of the iceberg, and there is an iceberg coming at you. So pay attention, do what you can, and with that, I'll say thank you, everyone, and good night.